The following is an archival presentation of The Sands of Time, hosted by Joyce Johnson. Before her passing in 2014, Joyce spent more than 25 years recording interviews with her fascinating neighbors. WOMR is committed to preserving this archive and sharing it with our listeners. Some of the material has become dated, but it remains as interesting and vital as ever. This is Joyce Johnson with The Sands of Time, a program of oral history. Today we're going to repeat one of our favorite programs, that of when we interviewed Art Costa of Art's Dune Taxis. This recording was made in 1988. My guest today is Art Costa, who is famous in the tip of the cape for his Dune Taxis. Uh, what is it, that byline you have on your, you can't do without arts? Is that what you have on the page of the back of your no, pants? No, we have a slogan which is called, uh, you've got to, ha- you've you've got got to, to have, have arts. arts. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I know that was a slogan in Boston, I think, when you have that's to, you've got to got have arts. That's where you got it from. That's where we got it from. Uh, tell me, how long have you been in this uh, business of driving the taxis, we call them taxis, the beach buggies, out in the province land dunes? Well, actually, it started about, <clears throat> I've done it myself for the last, on the Arts Dune Tour, the last, this will be my 42nd season. Good Lord. But I did drive a you little bit. You must have been a mere child when you started, aren't you? No, <laughs> I, just before the Army days. Uh-huh. I drove a little bit in 41, just before Pearl Harbor. Really? For a Lino P. Dutra, because it was his vehicle, and all they did was drive for him. Relieving one of his drivers who had to go into the Navy. And, of course, at the time, it was a 1940-foot woody station wagon. Beautiful machine. One of those gorgeous antique cars now that you drool over. That I wish I'd kept. Yes, you wish you'd kept. And yeah. how many vans do you have now? We're running five cars uh, with one uh, as a backup car. Uh-huh. And we do have six cars. That, and, of course, if, if there's a case where a vehicle breaks down, we always have that extra vehicle. Right. to uh, more or less pick up and, and continue on. And you take individuals, uh, you line up there in the square in Provincetown, but also you take a lot of tours <coughs> down there. Uh, oh, yes, we do. We do that come in by the busload, right? Sometimes. Well, mostly we get these bus tours, and, of course, they, these are all prearranged. And uh, it's helped out a lot because there were days when things were a little quiet on the corner. Sure. Um, and you were expressing this morning when you came in here that there are lots of frustrations about this business, right? There uh, surely are. Uh, because yeah. the lic- the, all the drivers had to have a certain license, so they had to be approved by the Cape Cod National Seashore. We tell our audience that all these uh, these trails are, the few trails that are left are in the seashore, so they come under the regulations and uh, administration of the Cape Cod National Seashore. Yes, and they have to have you have to have a special state license. Right. The vans <coughs> have to have special inspection, if I remember correctly. Yes, that's Having true. been uh, a former dune taxi driver myself one summer, which was great fun, because at that time the whole uh, beach from High Head to Race Point was open. Was open. And that area from High Head to say uh, Ray Wells' shack is, I think, one of the most spectacular. It was so exactly. isolated there, we'd often see fox and deer and stuff. I like that. Yeah, it's a beautiful. But that, uh, because the road uh, was washed away by the cliff, fell in. 
that's no longer open. But that's uh, been open again, but not to the public. Oh, really? You can get by. You can go through there now. Oh, they've cut another trail there. I saw, I see. Down towards High Head. Well, I suppose for fire reasons, they've got to have an open trail through there, don't they? If there was ever exactly. a, a, a grass fire or a forest fire through there, got to have some access. You do need that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what keeps you doing this? Um, is do you, is there a special other than the economic situation, or you well, just love it out there? Actually, it's something I've always enjoyed doing, and uh, I lo just love to do it. I doubt if there's anyone in town that loves the doing area as much as I do, unless it's the young lady across from me here. <laughs> That's right. But uh, I just love it, and uh, it was a thrill to drive those Ford station wagons out there, and of course there's been other many other vehicles out there of different types, but I think the Ford was really the, the vehicle that captured my heart. The old Model A. No, it wasn't a Model A. Was it Model A? V8 Ford really? station wagon. Uh huh. Did you ever have a Model A? I remember oh, going yeah. out in the Model A when I, I was about sixteen or seventeen. I did have a Model A 70. out there one time, but it was just a stripped-down vehicle. And right, I, you know, with fat balloon tires probably. You hit the tree, you hit a tree, you didn't care about it. We only paid $5 <laughs> for it, so we didn't really lose that much. Those are the days, right? <laughs> I might add that there is a uh, Model A Ford sitting out there now on the side of a dune, which uh, belonged right. to Charles uh, Smith. Yeah, yeah. And it's sitting right up there on the hill, all rusted away. It's amazing. Now, you knew Charlie right from the beginning, didn't you? I didn't you help him get him? I shop? certainly did. I was responsible for Charlie in the house. Let me uh, give a little background, then we'll go into that. Uh, Charlie Schmidt was um, a man from New York who came to the Cape and discovered the dunes and uh, was a turn warden out there for a while and wanted to live there. He thought of himself as a writer, as a playwright or what have you. He loved isolation. His wife had just died of cancer. He was sort of uh, in shock from that, I believe. That. Yeah. And he ended up uh, getting a shack through art, buying a shack for $100 or something. And living out there year-round for 12, 22. 22 years, 22 years. And he was called, like, the character of the dunes. Now, his shack was first, I think, one story, and then the sand moved in on it, so he built another story. Exactly. Well, by the time he got through, he had three stories there. It looked like a triple-decker. Yeah, uh, it was You're taking your life in your hands to climb on the top of it because the rickety old staircases. In fact, a lot of that was on purpose. You know, he didn't want visitors, so he had all these traps <laughs> You might fall through the deck or whatever. He knew where to step, but no one else would. He, what a character he was. Wonderful. Tell me what your experience with him was. Well, I first met Charlie back in 19, I believe it might have been 59, when he was uh, driving for Joe Drew out at Race Point. And at the time, of course, uh, he drove his tours from Joe Drew out to the lighthouse. But somehow he uh, got involved uh, back in town here and. He started to solicit our tours on the corner with that southern accident, accident of his, and uh, we got to be good friends, and later I didn't know, but he did uh, at one time work for the Glenn Miller Band as a band boy, and of course, the Glenn Miller Band has always been my favorite, so right. that's how... How yeah, really, he played an instrument. Yeah. I think he played a saxophone or some or a trumpet. Gee, I don't know whether he did not, but he told yeah. me he was a band boy. Yeah. And of course, then he asked me, you know, he, he told me how he loved the dunes, and so he, I, he, he thought he'd like to live out there. He told me that, so I told well, that there is a house out there you might be able to buy. So I referred him to Ivan Bullitt in from Rye, New York, who I knew quite well, and he wrote to uh, Ivan uh, Bullitt, and somehow Mr. Bullitt decided to sell the house, 
And I didn't know at the time that he was going to send me $25 for selling the house for him. Oh, gosh. It's sort of a Great. favor. Great. Or commission well. sort of thing. But he was, I understand later he was, he was kind of resent, he resented that he did. Yeah, sure. Anybody. It's like selling a Model A, mm -hmm. you know, you're never going to get it back again. Right. Uh, well, it started uh, Charlie on a, an unbelievable uh, episode of his life. Uh, he's written volumes about being out there, you know, they have to be edited, but he did do a lot of writing out there, and and uh, at, one, at some point they will be edited and made available. I certainly hope so. Yeah, it needs a lot of editing, but uh, it will be done, and it, it just catalogs his day-to-day, -day, uh, whatever he was doing out there, whether it was what he had for breakfast, which he uh, was very involved with food, or, you know, a walk down the beach, what beach he found on the beach. Wine. Yeah, the be Oh, he became an aficionado of, uh, of various uh, wine making out there from cranberries and blueberries and beach plums and rose hips. Delicious. Very sweet, though. Very sweet. I guess it kept him warm during the winter yeah, months. Well, they used to heat something. that building with uh, kerosene, and yeah. I guess he later did buy a wood stove. Yeah, the last year he was there, which I v visited him, he was—he had one room so well insulated. It had double-thick windows. It was just a small room to begin with. And he was only using a kerosene lamp to heat it. That's right? all it needed. Isn't that amazing? It was so That's well right. insulated. I really didn't visit him that much, but I kind of do wish I had now. Yeah. Because yeah. he was a great He's guy. Quite a character. Funny. <coughs> have, have you known any other uh, people? You've known practically everybody out there then. If well, you've been going this long. the ones I've known, of course, were from the 1946 up to the, you know, the 60s. Peg Watson and mm -hmm. the Al Fearing and uh, his family. And then, of course, there was uh, <coughs> Frenchie, Chanel, and Shotzi. Who still have a share. And I met, I used to, I became quite friendly with Harry Kemp. But uh, at the time, one time he did not, he resented me using Snail Road because he had to get off the road to let me buy. But later <laughs> on, Harry did finally be, we both became quite friendly and he'd often sit down there in the corner by the New York show and wait for me and ride out with me. Really? What was he like? Tell me. Well, he was a, he was quite a nice guy. I liked him. Harry and, Kemp uh, was a poet to begin with to tell our audience. Poet. Yeah. And he, I heard him recite some of his beautiful poems, had a party given to in his honor by, I believe it was uh, Frenchie, mm -hmm. and I heard him recite the poems out there one evening, and it was great just to listen to him. Yeah. He was attractive, wasn't he? Yes, he was, Rather yes. Uh, striking. And uh, for a while there, he, he invited me out to the shack, and we stopped there with passengers, and he loves having visitors. Really? And uh, some of the young folks who came out with me actually got some of his poems, that which he offered to them, to the passengers. No kidding. So he was quite a guy. I liked him. And he had a <coughs> his shack is still there, and it's adorable. Oh, it's a beautiful shack. You know, yeah, tiny little thing, but uh, it's used by right, the beautiful cashes. view of the water and uh, and all made of scraps and bits and pieces. That's for sure. That one looks as though it might have been one of the old Coast Guard. Uh, I think it was given to him by the Coast Guard. Yeah, it might have been a paint locker or a halfway house at it. One in the halfway house, right? Now, were you driving out there when the Coast Guard station was in uh, being used? No, it was already boarded up when I started '46. It was still it was open back in 1941, though. But um, before the war, back during you know, the war. while it was still, it might have been closed. Excuse me, it might mm -hmm. have been closed in '41 early part until, of course, the war came along. <coughs> it's all boarded up, I believe, 
And, of course, it was still boarded up in 1946. Mm -hmm. It was later bought by a New York doctor, I believe, and then later occupied by Mr. E.J. Beatty from the Mayflower Heights Cottages area there. Mm -hmm. And he was supposed to move on the, the building, I understand, but it was destroyed eventually by a fire. It was? In the July of 59. Oh, yeah. Someone... Lit well, a fire in there. Two little boys that were in the building the night I passed by, and then an hour or two later, the building was gone. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And now all there, that's the building where you just see the cement walls now. Exactly. Looks like a Roman ruin out there. I know. People want to know what this is. Roman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Roman walls. But really, it's, uh, they often want to know how they, how they could build a foundation that side out there. I, I mentioned that it was done by... Horse, well, vi trucks, uh, vehicles, uh, either the, the old Coast Guard vehicles or the, it might have been done by during the horse and team area because I think that building was moved back around 1931 from the ocean's edge. Yes, because it's quite far inland now. I didn't know whether it was because of the dune change or not. 200 yards from the ocean. How about at that. The time. How did the Coast Guard stations uh, function out there? They, uh, <coughs> someone told me that they might have had a walking boardwalk at one time. Yes, uh, there was a walking boardwalk extended from the uh, Snail Road up over the dunes, which the men did use to walk in the town on. Mm -hmm. It was still there when I started, and the boathouse was beautiful, intact. All that was beautifully bit built. It was too Pass bad that it wasn't floor. maintained, because what mm -hmm. a building. Ray said about it, you know. Yeah, and it just uh, finally deteriorated. Destroyed by vandals yep. eventually. Right. So it's gone. Have you had any uh, exciting experiences out in the dunes? Tell us a little about the ecology and the and the wildlife out in the dunes. Well, the only wildlife that I did observe out there was mostly bird life, and uh, of course, rabbits and fox are always present out there, and it's really nice to see them out there. Mm. Just a few days ago, we did see a large eagle, which I believe you was did? a brown eagle. I th I had a picture of that, and I, I could kill myself because I I used a film which I grabbed a film to load my camera, and I'd already used the ca film, thinking it was uh, a fresh one, and I have double exposures. I got within a car length of that eagle. It was had brown on with a yes, white big one. Yep. It was a big one. It was eating something on a post as I drove in. And, I, you know, it was one of those, there I was a foot from a, I mean, a car length from this eagle because I crept up in the car and shot through the windshield. And the film was no good. I can't believe it. But it was my first experience of seeing an, an eagle out there. I should have taken a picture just a few days ago of the eagle, but I found myself in that same predicament. Yeah. Only I didn't have a film in the camera. At all. It yeah. was out. Oh, I couldn't believe what I did. <coughs> What else have you seen out there? You see much deer now? Yes, we do. We see a few deer out there, and of course, I keep it to myself. Right. I just love those yeah, right. deer out it's there. Yeah, right. Impossible to think anybody. Beautiful to see them out there. Yeah, I know. And there's been a lot of things that have occurred out there. Mostly, you know, small incidents. Uh-huh. Bringing the people out there to. Uh, to enjoy themselves and uh, transporting people. I've always really. Look forward to doing that, helping people. Do you find people? Do you find some people that react sort of, uh, you know, they're scared to be out there? Do you ever find people like that? Well, little, not they not go that, a little quiet after a while. <laughs> not that many, really. Mm -hmm. Most of the folks out there have always gotten accustomed to that living out there without being afraid. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. really nothing to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. No, right. When you're down there by the ocean. Yeah. 
But I, I, when I was driving the Duden taxi, I found some of the people saying, oh, how can anyone live out here? Exactly. You know, they, you know no phone, no they don't water. You have water, but it's a hand pump, no electricity. They don't know. They can't understand, right? You have to, I, I've told people you have to be in one of these little yeah. houses to, to see why people enjoy the, right. the lovely view of the ocean. Yeah. Or just being there where it's so quiet. Like um, Mrs. Um, well, Hawthorne's house, Hazel Hawthorne. Yes, right, Euphoria and Thalassa. Thalassa is the one that has the view yeah. right on the beach. Yeah, right. Um, what about what grows out there that's edible? Well, actually, it's just, from what I gather, it's been the, the cranberries and the beach plums and some blueberries out there mm -hmm. along part of Snail Road there. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's probably other types of berries out there which are edible but I'm not, not quite really. sure about I know some of my drivers uh, have mentioned other edible foods out there but I'm not enough I, I really don't remember the names because there's sort of strange names for green plants uh -huh. I tried a piece one time with uh, Earl Chaddock and uh, found it disgusting really oh yeah the taste of it <laughs> But he said it was good. Yeah, yeah. In the salad or something? Something like that? Were Just you, about. That's salad? where it belonged in the salad. Earl Chaddock. I've heard that name before. Who is he? Earl Chaddock? Yeah. Well, he drives for... He used to drive for the uh, Tex Baker up there. It's called the Mitch's Dune Tour. It used to operate out of the mm -hmm. province down in. Mm -hmm. And they had a lovely ride that extended out to Race Point Lighthouse. And mm -hmm. that was a night. And of course, they used to pass by the old Hell's Town up by Race Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. That was part of our tour, too, in 46. Right. You could do nice the whole night. beach then, couldn't you? I used you? to do the dune and the whole beach. And at that point, you could go on the inland dune and up over all the right, inside uh, roller inland. coasters and everything. Did you do that with your tour sometime? Uh, we don't do it now, but no, we did do to. it. Oh, yeah, right up until 1980, we still had those big high dunes, right. spe spectacular views up there, which I wish they'd give them back to us. <laughs> Beautiful sight. <coughs> But it does tear them up. The trouble is, there was so much, uh, so many people who abused it. Exactly. You know, you'd see their marks, their track marks all over the dunes, up and down them. So that's but the problem. There was a few that ruin it. If you drive out there now, you'll see the difference of uh, the way the park has managed to clean the, keep the dunes in their beautiful, natural, you know, state. But there's a problem still with the foot traffic, and it's happening a lot at Snails Road. Mm -hmm. And I look across the dunes and see people standing on the peaks of the beautiful yeah, little peaks, which look like a, a pyramid. Yeah. And I don't understand why it's happening, why right. it's not. Because it does uh, tear them down very fast. And we're not able to drive over there and tell people you can't go up there. Yeah. And so the, the dune will gradually be destroyed yeah. by the hundreds of people going up there right. throughout the whole summer. Do you have good relations with the seashore? Yes, we do. Well, you, you deal with the um, North District? <coughs> right. I, I'm usually involved with the... <laughs> I keep in touch with Irving Tubbs when there are problems out there, and, of course, hopefully that he would solve for us like the one we have now. The beach is practically impassable for us. Yeah, what, what is the situation right now? I understand well, you've been only... The can't go the full length of it anymore. No, the sea has uh, eaten away so much of the Peaked Hill Bar area that it's impossible for us to get on the beach or even drive from Race Point and head back towards Piquito to get back into the dunes. So mm -hmm. we have, we've lost that. Mm -hmm. And without that stretch, uh, I don't see how it's we would be able to see a sunset at all from the oh, beach really? area. Really? 
you then come back to the big dune up by Mount Arawat that way? Yeah, we have to go in by the dune parking lot and exit. By the, the lake. Same area. Same thing, and go up to the dune and uh, there and come back there and right. watch the sunset mm-hmm. go down, which is spectacular. Boy. That is beautiful. That is the lake. Yeah. Have you ever had any trouble out there getting stuck? Oh, yes. I've been involved in a few incidents out there getting stuck in Snare Road. And oh, Snare Road one time was terrible I had originally. Couldn't make the hill in the old right. 36 Ford, so I had yeah. to <clears throat> make my way down into the trees where I had to leave the car. Excuse <clears throat> me. And we had to, had to walk into town, get a hatchet, and saw, saw the trees down <laughs> to get the vehicle out. It's not yes. like you can call up the wrecking company and say, go pull my... Have yeah. you had any trouble getting stuck in the water? If you won, you I had a, one one or two cars. Uh, yes, we had one uh, one international stuck in the water around 19, I believe, 73. It was the time when the Somerset was starting Exposed. to uncover. Mm-hmm. And there was, there was a freakish incident out there where the... The sand was disappearing out there, and uh, something was happening, and before long, it did happen. The, the Somerset did expose, but one of our cars uh, got involved with a, really having a wheel come off, or not a wheel, but a tire we lost the air, and the wheel just went off the rim. And of course, the vehicle was stuck there, and oh. tire was coming. By the time it got there, the water was up to the grill, <gasps> yeah. but we still got it out, but uh, with the help of... Some of our drivers, like Joyce Sari, helped out a lot, and went in Perry, Warren, young Warren Perry, and of course Joe Patrick was a gentleman who really felt very bad. That I think the gentleman was actually crying because of the vehicle being in the water. Oh, yeah. He was a wonderful driver and uh-huh. fantastic, a dependable man who uh-huh. you could always count on. Yeah, there okay. are many people like that. Who, well, we still have that type of person sure. driving for us anyways. Yeah, well, like it's an erratic business because you never know when you're going to need someone, and it's tough yeah, to... Yeah, it seems like you, those the older folks, you can really count on them, <laughs> guys. Uh, but, uh, of course, there are a lot of young boys. Well, you've got some wonderful kids. men. I, I know most of them out and there. We have Bill Allison and, of course, Kelvin Watson and Earl Chaddock. And uh-huh. Because we have my son now driving part-time and his cousin David. Good. And that makes it very nice for us. We sure. have a couple of new drivers coming up that will be driving to fill in for the other drivers. Uh-huh. Tell me, when the car got stuck in the water, was it ruined, or were you able to no, save it? No, it, uh, it, it did, uh, well, it did actually bring about the, just, you know, the vehicle did have problems later. It was all from the water, and we should have dumped the vehicle, but we ran it one more summer, and, we, and by that time, we finally realized that it should have been Traded that same year where it submerged. <laughs> so it's it became known as the Yellow Submarine there for a while. <laughs> oh, gosh. Did, you, did you know, Charlie, when he got lost yes, his I did. new, he bought a brand new Jeep and 64. had 500 miles on it. And the first car he ever had new, I think, 64. or ever did. It's a brand and new 64. 500 miles and he lost it in the water. Well, he got caught out race light. Oh, poor Charlie. Uh, when he told me about that, I couldn't believe it. I know it well. I was with him when he bought his first car. Yeah. Yeah, from Al Weisberg. Oh, really? It was an, it they was love an the old men. 60 old, yeah. yeah, it was an old Jeep, and I think Charlie paid $400 for it at the time. And but those I had the to go out again. there and tow him and everything else with ice all over the place. Oh, what I a know. funny guy. Yeah, he was. I don't know how, I don't really know how he survived that long out there, do you? Well, he. 
He used caffeine for a while because yeah. he was buying it from the... Yeah, but still got Well, I met Charlie was when he broke... He was broken down on, on Route 6 by the Truro dump, and I went by to go to the mail or something. I had to do an errand, <laughs> and when I came back, he was still there. So I stopped and said, Can I, I, I knew of him. I'd seen him around in the dunes, but I had never really talked to him. So I said, Can I help you out? And I ended up towing him. He had what the problem was. He had his old Jeep, real rickety one. I think it belonged to Pat Peg Watson. The green one. Right, the green one, and with the the wooden back on right. it. Right. And he it was loaded. It was a winter storm coming, and he had all his provisions for this. You know, the next couple of weeks right. until he, in case he got marooned out there, in the Jeep. So he was desperate. So I hooked my chain up and I hauled them to the uh, to Provincetown to the garage. And from there, he got a ride. You know, he transferred everything, and they, he got a ride out. But that's how I met him, and after that, we uh, got to be very friends. Well, friendly. Charlie had a habit of leaving his vehicles exactly where they broke down. He'd never bother <laughs> fixing them. That's why the Model A Ford's still out there, and there's a 41 Mercury buried out there, you know. Just <laughs> the the winds come along, and top. the sand covers him up, right? Exactly. <laughs> And yeah, it's sort of uh, it was sort of sad when his uh, shack got. Uh, I can understand why it got uh, bulldozed by the seashore, but, but it was, it was a monument out there. In fact, I've talked to uh, to fishermen, lobstermen, who used to use that to guide themselves mm -hmm. the, to get a line on where they were at, mm -hmm. to use that in order to come in. And uh, but uh, you know, he he'll never be forgotten. That's for sure. No, definitely. <laughs> In fact, I've got to get a picture of Charlie yes, from you, which I, I don't have one. I keep on looking for that beautiful one, which I know I have copies of, and either, if I don't find it, I'll have another reproduction done for you, but I have the negative of him holding a bird. We didn't mention that uh, Charlie had a colony of uh, tree swallows out there, which he uh, studied and I did a lot see, of reporting yeah. on. He had about 20 or 25 uh, and, uh, bird boxes out there. a lot about Charlie that I missed out on because... Kind of luck, uh, lost being in, we didn't stay in touch until yeah. so for a few times he came into town. But well, he was isolated. His his shack was really off the path that you were yeah, driving, yes, and he, um, he didn't want company either. I know a lot. he didn't. No, he, uh, used unless to threaten it, he was people. in the mood. <laughs> so he yeah. wasn't exactly the most sociable. Uh, Especially uh, when he had a few in him, <laughs> uh, which he, you know, of course, he enjoyed doing, I guess, but. <laughs> Yeah, he, I, I can remember him yelling at a few people while I was there that came within, you know, 300 yards of the place, and he's out there, get away. <laughs> but uh, he was a real, real mix. He wasn't really a, he wasn't really a hermit at all. No, he liked he people. He liked being sociable. And doing Charlie. But he also wanted that solitude, so uh, interesting fellow. And you, of course, uh, knew uh, uh, Nikki Wells and Ray. And of Ray, course, of course, yeah, still Ray. is using her shack. Peggy. Watson. Peggy. I didn't know Peggy, only of her. And I, I guess she was her. a lovely to, person. I know. I used to bring her supplies out, all of them. You did. All the people out there. You did have a service like that to bring them some Yes, I did. I, I'd food. pick up the supplies at the EMP store down at the center of town mm -hmm. and uh, drop everything off. You know, as I went along, I dropped the packages off, even mail, which uh, we took to Esther Hill. She was another lady who had this beautiful little cottage, and it was built by, uh, well, Esther and her husband bought the bought the materials, and I think James, Jim Enos from uh, Fish Transport helped them build it. And, uh, hmm. I'm sure it Where was, was that located? That, that was right next to Al Fearns, right? It's right up, to the east of... Is it still there of, now? No, it's gone. It was destroyed by a fire. It's oh. right east of uh, 
of, of uh, Frenchie's house. Okay. And, of course, we used to drop the mail there, and, of course, Teddy, the, the little dog, would come out and get the mail. The dog would? And, and take the mail back into oh, the house. Oh, great. Isn't that And it was a lot of things that was really... Yeah. A lot of incidents like that when, of course, Frenchie being there, painted these beautiful paintings, and she sold every one of them. No kidding. As I, as I went by, people bought the paintings from her. Really? She had them out there on the June Trail? Yes. Oh, isn't yeah. that And wonderful. when the ship came ashore here in 1954 called the uh, Eugenia, she made beautiful sh pictures and shells of the wreck. Of the wreck. And she sold every one of them. Terrific. Art, I guess our time has uh, run out. It's been great having you here. We've been talking to Art Coster, who has a dune tour business, Art's Dune Tours, here in Provincetown. And you can look them up under Arts in the phone book. You have been listening to The Sands of Time, a program of oral history. You've just heard a program that we recorded in 1988, and we classify it as one of our favorites. And we're happy to repeat it. Your host today on The Sands of Time has been Joyce Johnson. Thank you for being with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode from the archives of Joyce Johnson. Although some of the material may have been dated, we here at WOMR think it's important to continue to share it with our listeners.